All right, well, good morning, everybody. It is a pleasure to see you here this morning on this beautiful Sunday morning. I hope you have your Bibles. Turn to Matthew chapter 6. We'll be in Matthew chapter 6 and Matthew chapter 9. I want to introduce my sermon as um, our sermon series that we've been in, as I usually do. We're continuing um, our sermon series entitled Foundations of Faith, where we've been studying the importance of regular spiritual habits in our lives. So we've been trying to limit our study to the practices that we see, particularly in the life of Jesus. What are the spiritual habits we see in the life of Jesus, whereby he walked with the Father day by day, and he ultimately lived a life of obedience, fellowship, and joy. Now, Donald Whitney, who wrote a very important book that I've mentioned a few times, called Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, He defines these spiritual habits or disciplines this way. He says, spiritual disciplines are those practices found in Scripture that promote spiritual growth among believers in the gospel of Christ. Now, we've looked at other spiritual disciplines through this, like Bible intake and Bible study. We've looked at prayer. We've looked at worship. We've looked at serving one another. And this morning, we're going to be looking at the spiritual habit of fasting. Now, I'm going to be relying heavily on Donald Whitney's definition and his chapter on fasting if you need to get that book and read more closely, Uh, but I'm going to be leaning on him heavily this morning, more heavily than usual, because his section on this is so helpful. Now, our goal, as I've stated, week in and week out, our goal is to live as Jesus lived. Our goal is to practice the spiritual habits that were the driving force of his life and ministry. We call Jesus Master and Lord, and we are His disciples, which means we follow after Him. So our lives should mimic and model, be, be, be modeled on the life of Jesus, and we should mimic and imitate Him. So our desire is to live as He lived. Now, as we think about fasting this morning, I want to ask a few questions. What comes to your mind when I use that term? What comes into your mind when I say the word fasting? Does the term immediately bring up negative connotations? Does it bring to mind or make you think about other denominational traditions that occur throughout the year? Another question, have you ever fasted seriously? Have you ever taken this spiritual habit seriously? Is this simply a relic of the past? What is the very purpose of fasting? Did you know that fasting is mentioned in the Bible more than baptism? Fasting occurs 77 times throughout the Bible, and baptism only occurs 75 times. Just saying that. You need to know that. So, that's my, my question. Have you ever fasted? Should we fast? What is the purpose of it? Did Jesus fast? Those are all questions I hope for us to answer today. So, I want to begin, um, and so I apologize already. I, you need to learn about this, so I'm going to break this and make it kind of academic, but I hope it's engaging because you need to know a bunch about this as we go. So let's start with the meaning of fasting, the meaning of it. Now, fasting is probably, as I, as I said earlier, it is probably one of the most misunderstood and least represented of all spiritual disciplines. This is why we need a clear definition, uh, because if you go back through church history, it is only in the modern West that fasting has not been prominent. It has absolutely been a part of other Christian traditions, but about the time of the Reformation and through the Renaissance and the Enlightenment, in the West, fasting fell out of favor, um, even though other faith traditions, Christian faith traditions, carry, on, carry it on today. 
So it's important for us to know what it is. So fasting is this. This is the definition. I think I'll have it on the screen, maybe. Fasting is a Christian's voluntary abstinence. Fasting is a Christian's voluntary abstinence from food for spiritual purposes. All right, now I'm gonna, I, want you, I want you to think about that for a second. Fasting is a Christian's voluntary abstinence from food for spiritual purposes. Now let me, as you write that down, I want to make, pay attention to very key words here. Its purpose is to be more God-centered, more Christ-focused. That's the purpose of it, okay? Fasting should be Christian. I'm using the word Christian. Fasting is a Christian discipline because fasting for a non-Christian would be of no eternal significance. It's just you dieting. So fasting is Christian. Second, it is voluntary, meaning that it cannot be coerced. It is a voluntary abstinence from food. So it cannot be coerced. It must be a matter of the heart, and it must be for spiritual purposes. If it's not for spiritual purposes, as I mentioned, you are simply dieting. You must have a heart that is desiring to draw nearer to God. So here's what that kind of means as you kind of think about this. Fasting is saying that drawing nearer to God is more important than food for this time or this season. That being in the presence of Jesus, walking more closely with him, is more important than food at this time, for this season. Now, some folks say they are fasting from other things besides food, and that could be fine. But the point is that whatever you are abstaining from, the time given to it should be time used for God's purposes. So, if you say, well, I'm not going to watch TV, I'm going to fast from TV, then that time should be used to be given for God's purposes, prayer and serving others, evangelism. It shouldn't just be, well, I'm just going to read a book instead. Um, it needs to be used for God's purposes. So that's the meaning of fasting. It is a Christian's voluntary abstinence from food or other things for spiritual purposes. Now, what you need to know is that throughout the Bible, like I said, it's mentioned 77 times, there are at least nine different kinds of fasts that are listed in the scriptures. Here they are briefly. Number one, the normal fast. The normal, that's just a fast involving the stain, abstaining from all food, but not from water. It's just the normal fast. Second, you have the partial fast. And that would be a fast that is a limitation of diet, but not an abstention of all food. You have third, the absolute fast. And this is, a, this is the avoidance of all food and liquid, even water for a time. Okay, that's the absolute fast. Then you have, number four, the supernatural fast. The supernatural fast requires God's supernatural intervention. There's only three people in the Bible that are said to have taken supernatural fasts. That is Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. They are said to have fasted for 40 days without food or water. If you try that, you will die if God does not supernaturally intervene. That's why it's called a supernatural fast. So only three people did that in the scriptures. Number five, you have the national fast. You see this in places like 2 Chronicles, Nehemiah, Esther, and Jonah. It says this in 2 Chronicles 20. It says, Jehoshaphat was afraid and turned his attention to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to seek the help from the Lord. They even came from all the cities of Judah to seek the Lord. 
So this is a, a, a fast that is proclaimed over the whole nation. It happened in Israel several times. You need to know that even in our nation's history, President John Adams and James Madison called on our country to fast, and President Abraham Lincoln called on our nation to fast three times during the Civil War. It's not very common, but it has even happened in our nation's history. Number six, you have what is called the regular fast. Now this, um, this we find in Leviticus 16, every Jew in the Old Testament was only required to fast one day of the year. Okay, Only one day of the year was, um, this was called the regular fast. Every Jew was to fast on the Day of Atonement, which is listed in Leviticus 16. And it was to be a permanent statute on the Day of Atonement, which was in the seventh month, on the tenth day. Um, uh, that's when it was to happen. So I'll read you Leviticus. It says, this shall be a permanent statute for you. In the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall humble, humble your souls and not do any work, whether the native or the alien who sojourns among you. For, the on, on, for it is on this day that atonement shall be made for you to cleanse you. So those are, the, those are the fasts that are listed in the Old Testament. And then there are at least three fasts that are seen in the New Testament era. You have number seven, the congregational fast. So instead of the nation, you have a church or a congregation fasting. You find this in um, Acts 13. Um, it says there in Acts 13, Now there were at Antioch, in the church that was there, prophets and teachers... Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and, and, the, and Manan, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Listen to this. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and sent them away. So you see, even in Acts, the early church is practicing fasting. The early church, each congregation, led by the Holy Spirit, was practicing some form of fasting, and God was ministering among them as they were ministering to the Lord, and the Lord was working among them. So you have the congregational fast that you find in the New Testament, number seven. Number eight, you have the occasional fast, okay? These occur on special occasions or as the need arises. Uh, Jesus talks about that, as we see later on. And then, finally, you have what is called the private fast fast the private fast this is a fast that is not to be noticed it is not public and this is what Jesus speaks of in Matthew 6 where we will be reading so here we go Matthew chapter 6 verses 16 through 18 and then we'll look at Matthew 9 14 through 17 because here are the two sections in Matthew where Jesus addresses fasting it says in Matthew 6 beginning of verse 16 Jesus says and when you fast do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now flip over to Matthew 9, beginning in verse 14. Matthew 9, verse 14. Matthew says this. Then the disciples of John, John the Baptist, then the disciples of John came to Jesus saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as, they long, as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. 
Neither is new wine put into new wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. So here we go, number three. So we've looked at the meaning of fasting, the types of fast that we see in the scripture. So three, let's look at Jesus' teaching on fasting. So what is Jesus teaching us here about fasting? I want to point out three very quick things. I'm moving very fast today because I want to be done sooner than later, and i got like seven pages left. Just kidding, just kidding. Here we go. Number one, this is what you need to know about Jesus. About Jesus. What can we learn from Jesus? Number first, Jesus fasted. Okay? Jesus fasted. Notice that in Matthew 9, the disciples of John ask about Jesus' disciples not fasting like them or the, Pharisee, or the Pharisees. So they did not accuse Jesus of not fasting. Jesus did, in fact, practice fasting. But the way he did it was different from the way the religious leaders and John's disciples expected. Now, again, Jesus grew up as a normal Jew in a, in a Jewish home, so he would have grew up practicing the normal fast on the Day of Atonement. And if you remember, Jesus began his ministry with 40 days fasting in the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil. So they all knew that Jesus fasted. So that's the first thing, is Jesus did practice fasting. It's just not the way the other religious leaders did or expected. Second, Jesus also noticed here in Jesus' teaching that he expects his disciples to fast. He says in Matthew 6, when you fast, you are to do it a certain way. He doesn't say if you fast. And then he says in Matthew 9, Matthew 9, he says very clearly, right? He says, my disciples aren't fasting now because the bridegroom is still with them. But when the bridegroom is taken away, they will fast. So Jesus is saying he is ushering in a new era and something new is going to be coming. And on that day, his, um, he, will ex- he expects his disciples to practice some form of fasting, at least in line with his teaching. And number three, and this is, the, this is where we will, we will branch off from here for the rest of the way. Jesus expects fasting. So he expects his disciples to fast. But third, he expects fasting to be a matter of the heart. He expects, matter, he expects fasting to be a matter of the heart. Now, why do I say that? Jesus says here in Matthew 6 and Matthew 9 that there is a right way and a wrong way for his disciples to fast. Right? Notice that Jesus isn't impressed with the formalism or the outward practices of the Pharisees, who fasted, by the way, one day a week. Right? They did everything. They, they did everything, right? So, in fact, he goes after this kind of traditionalism all the time that goes beyond what God had actually said or intended. Now, the Pharisees particularly mandated all kinds of traditions that took the very heart out of God's word and commandments. And Jesus consistently pushes against that throughout the Gospels. So, this is what Jesus is saying. It's a matter of the heart, right? All throughout the Gospels, he's chiding these religious leaders, and he's basically saying things like this. You can go to the temple, and you can offer sacrifices, and they will mean nothing if it's not accompanied by a heart of faith. You can pray in public on the street corners and let everybody see you, but it won't mean anything if it's not actually coming out of a heart of humility towards God. 
You can go fast in front of everybody in public and disfigure your faces and make everybody know you're fasting. But if it's not coming out of a heart of devotion that is seeking to draw nearer to God out of humility, then it will mean nothing. That's what Jesus is saying, that it will mean nothing if it's not accompanied by a heart of faith. You can pray in the marketplaces and your heart be far from God. You can even go to church, tithe, get baptized, teach a Bible study, be a pastor or a deacon, and your heart and soul not be moved out of love for Jesus. That is it. So here in Matthew 6, again, Jesus says that all of us have to take care in our fasting that we guard our hearts from self-righteous outward observances that do not engage our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Which, by the way, what is the greatest commandment? That we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. He says we shouldn't draw attention to our fasting by disfiguring our faces or making it a public show. In Matthew 9, he points this out. I used to always get confused about what Jesus said in Matthew 9 until I actually learned a little bit about sewing and shrinking cloths and a little bit about how wineskins were, were, were made and kept. But Jesus is saying here, he's saying that he is bringing in a new age of heart transformation. He's not marrying the old traditionalism of the Pharisees with his kingdom. He's bringing in a new spiritual revolution that moves from what the law can't do to what the Spirit can do as believers are given a new heart and new desires to love and follow Jesus. He's not simply going to add another outward observance and cause a new rip in the garment. That's what Jesus is saying, that he expects fasting to be a matter of the heart. That's why, by the way, it's voluntary. I'm not going to sit up here and demand as a pastor that you go home and you fast every Monday of the week. Because you know what you'll do? You'll go home and you'll do it, or you'll try to do it, and then it won't be engaging your heart. This has to, there has to be a purpose behind our fasting. A purpose. So that's what I want to say. Number four, our final point this morning, I want to argue the spiritual help. I want to give you several things uh, talk to you about the spiritual help that fasting from the heart can bring to you. We've talked about spiritual habits. How do we grow spiritually? How do we look more like Jesus? What are the tools and the, and the habits or the disciplines that God has given us as means of grace whereby we can grow in our relationship to Jesus? So he's given us his word. He's given us his spirit. He's given us prayer. And now he's, given us fast, he's also given us fasting as a way for us to grow. So here's the question. How does fasting connect with our spiritual growth and our daily needs and struggles as believers? So I want to argue here what fasting from the heart can do for you spiritually. Now, I think these will be on the screen. So I think I did do this part. So I, I was wrong about the last thing. So here we go. Are you ready to write fast? Ten, ten practical helps that fasting can bring to you. So if you want to include this as a spiritual habit in your life, as the Holy Spirit leads and as you walk with the Lord, here they are. Number one, fasting from the heart helps you strengthen your prayers. This is what fasting is intended to do. Fasting is almost always paired with prayer in the Bible. It does not change God's hearing. God hears our prayers. So fasting doesn't make your, your praying louder. But what it does do is it changes your praying. Fasting changes the intensity and the heart behind your praying. Fasting is meant 
to go hand in hand. And so let me just say, if it's worth praying about, it might also be worth fasting about. So prayer doesn't make God listen any better, but it does change your praying. Number two, fasting from the heart also helps you seek God's guidance. It helps you seek God's guidance. In Acts 14, we learn that Paul and Barnabas were going back through their church plants to appoint elders in every church. And Luke says this in Luke 14. Luke says, And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they believed. The point is that Paul and Barnabas and all of those churches prayed and fasted before they appointed pastors or elders in those churches. Because they wanted God's guidance. They wanted God's leadership. So when you have a question that is serious and you are wondering what you need to do in God's will, this is what fasting is for. Lord Jesus, I need to hear from you, and it's more important than eating. So I'm going to fast. Number three, fasting from the heart also helps us to lament and express grief. Um, it says this in Judges, in Judges 20. It says, the sons of Israel came against the sons of Benjamin the second day. And Benjamin went out against them from Gibeah the second day and fell to the ground 18,000 men of the sons of Israel, all who drew the sword. Then all the sons of Israel and all the people went up and came to Bethel and wept. And they remained before the Lord and fasted that day until evening, lamenting and grief over what was going on. So moved by the trouble of their nation and the trouble of what was going on in Israel that they were all moved to fast together to express grief, to show a heart of lamenting before the Lord. Number four. So that's, that's appropriate for us when we go through times of grief, times of sorrow, times of hardship. It is appropriate for us to fast. Number four. Fasting from the heart also helps, helps you seek deliverance and protection. You see this throughout the, throughout the Old Testament, New Testament. When people are fasting, they're seeking God's protection. One of the most common fasts was a fast to seek salvation from enemies. Ezra, in Ezra 8, it says this, Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before our God, to seek from Him a safe journey from, uh, for ourselves, our children, and all our gods. For I was ashamed to ask the king for a band of soldiers and horsemen to protect us against the enemy on the way, since we had told the king, the hand of our God is for good on all who seek him, and the power of his wrath is against all who forsake him. So we fasted and implored our God for this, and he listened to our entreaty. In Ezra, that's when they're coming back out of Babylon. They have to go back to Israel, and Ezra brings all of the, all of the exiles together, and they're about to march from Babylon back to Jerusalem. And he says, we have to pray and ask God to protect us because we're not asking for soldiers. Because God has told us to go and we trust him to protect us. So they fasted and asked for God's protection. Number five, fasting from the heart also helps you express repentance and a return to God. Now, I want you to flip in your Bibles right now to Isaiah 58. Flip to Isaiah 58. You'll, you'll want to read this with me. Isaiah 58. When you're there, say amen. If you're not there, say hold up. Okay, a few of you hold up. In my Bible, it's on page 689. Probably not, not that in your Bible. So, 
Fasting helps the helps uh, fasting from the heart helps you express repentance and a return to God. Uh, Isaiah fifty eight is one of the clearest teachings on fasting from the heart in the Bible. So look at Isaiah fifty eight, beginning at verse three. This is the children of Israel crying out to God, and they say this to God: Why have we fasted, and you not see it? Why have we humbled ourselves, and you take no knowledge of it? And then God gives them an answer. He says, Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice heard on high. Is this such the fast that I choose? A day for a, is, sorry, is such the fast that I choose? A day for a person to humble himself. Is it to bow his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? The answer is no. God says it has to be something different. So fasting from the heart is supposed to express repentance and returning to God, not seeking our own pleasure or our own desires. Number six, fasting from the heart then is supposed to help us express humility. Again, a matter of the heart. Lots of people fast without humility. Lots of people do that. It's easy just to say, I'm not going to fast. I'm going to just not eat food today. That's simple. Jesus chides the Pharisee in Luke 18 of just that. This is Luke 18. Jesus says this. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed like this. Now, this is not how you should pray. He says, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like that tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give tithes of all I get. Nobody can accuse him of not fasting. He does it twice a week. That's not the issue. The issue isn't what he's doing, it's how he's doing it. And then Jesus says this, but the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes up to heaven. But beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you that this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exhausted. exalted. So fasting from the heart is meant to demonstrate humility. You have to come with a humble heart. Number seven, fasting from the heart helps you express concern for the work of God. That it helps us express concern for the work of God. Fasting to see God work and move in your own lives and in the lives of our church and in the lives of our community. All of us all the time say we want God to work. We want God to work. We pray for God to work. And this is one of the things that fasting is for, is to demonstrate that, God, I care so much to see you move that it's more important than me, than me eating. I want to see you move out of humility. Number eight, fasting from the heart helps you to minister to the needs of others. Now, I hope you, um, if you did not, I'm going to go back to Isaiah 58 again because fasting from the heart is meant to give us an opportunity to minister to the needs of others. God says this in Isaiah 58 that we read earlier, and this is what he says that a proper fast should be. He says, is, not, is this not the fast which I choose to loosen the bonds of wickedness, to undo the bands of the yoke, and to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to divide your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? 
when you see the naked to cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh. So the Bible says that fasting is a way of us taking some of our resources and using them for the good of others. So instead of feeding yourself, go and take time to love and serve someone else in need. That's what fasting is for. Number nine, fasting from the heart also is used to help us overcome temptation and to dedicate ourselves to God. One of the things about fasting is that it's meant to show us that it's meant to show us that we have to live lives of self-control and self-denial. That all of us have bodily desires and bodily urges, some of them good, some of them bad, but we are supposed to be the masters of our own vessels. And so, um, in our battles with temptation, in our battles with self-control, in our battles with sin, fasting is meant, from the heart, is meant to help us overcome temptation and to dedicate ourselves to God. Jesus demonstrated this in his own fasting during temptations. So some of our, some of our spiritual battles are only going to be overcome by practicing this spiritual discipline. And then number 10, finally, fasting from the heart helps you express love and worship to God. We're coming up on the Christmas season, and one of my favorite characters from the Christmas season, um, from, G- from the Christmas story in Luke, is the story of Annas. If you remember, in Luke, uh, Anna, sorry, in Luke 2.37, we meet a prophetess named Anna. And Luke tells us this about her. It says, she did not depart. She was an old widow. It says, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. You hear that? You hear the connection there? She's worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. It's part of her regular worship. A part of her growing closer to the Lord and to express love and worship, it was fasting. Now, let me close this way. Fasting shouldn't be scary. It should not have a negative connotation. It is not something to be avoided. It should be a regular habit for the purpose of growing closer to Jesus. It should be directed by the Holy Spirit as we walk with Him day by day. Fasting more than other habits, as I just said, reminds us that we should live lives of self-denial and self-control. So let me begin, let me end where I began. I've been speaking about Christian fasting. Christian fasting, meaning this is the practice of fasting for Christ followers, for those who have a relationship with Jesus, not a relationship with a spiritual habit. Fasting will not save you. Only Jesus saves people. Only having a relationship with Jesus. We become Christians not by fasting. We become Christians by repenting of our sins and placing our faith and trust, our hope, our lives upon Jesus who died on the cross for our sins and rose again on the third day, defeating sin and death for us. He didn't need our help to do that. And he doesn't need any help in saving any of us today. Jesus is sufficient. The ultimate question is not whether or not you fast, but whether or not you've come to Christ as Lord in repentance and faith. So this morning, I'm going to pray for us. We're going to have a brief time of invitation. This whole series is about us learning to walk as Jesus walked and to practice what Jesus practiced. But our time of invitation here is the time for you to decide that you're going to commit to operating and and operating as a New Testament believer and practicing 
what Jesus is calling you to practice, whatever that might be. But if you're not a believer here, then all that stuff I said, that doesn't matter. What matters is, do you know Jesus? Has, ha, have you, do you have a personal relationship with him as Lord? Has there been a time in your life when you recognized you were a sinner, separated from God because of your sin, and recognized Jesus as the only sacrifice, the only one who loved you and died for you so that your sin could be forgiven? Because every sin must be paid for. And Jesus alone took the punishment we deserve. So if you don't know Jesus during this time, we invite you to come to Christ to repent of your sins and trust him. So let's stand together. I'm going to pray for us. Father, we ask that you would meet with us during this time. And Father, we pray specifically for those in the room that might not know Jesus. Oh God, would you speak to their heart and show them their need of Christ. Father, for the rest of us that are believers, Father, may you lead us by your spirit and teach us the importance and the blessing and the benefit of fasting for a purpose. Lord, as we daily struggle, as we daily need your guidance, as we daily need to express repentance, as we need to express love and worship, and as we need to walk in a way that is pleasing to you. So, Father, may we follow Christ as his disciples. Father, I pray for others who don't have a church home, that today would be a day they decide to be a covenant member of this church for which Christ died. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name.